This is C-SPAN's The Weekly. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. It is a congressional committee that has been meeting for more than a year, and yet you probably have not heard of it. And yet, potentially, it could change the way Congress operates. Its official name, the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. Its chairman is Democratic Representative Derek Kilmer of Washington State. Congressman, thank you for joining us. You bet. Great to be with you. So what's the mission statement of this select committee? In a nutshell, it's to make Congress work better for the American people. Uh, About every 20 or 30 years or so, Congress recognizes that things aren't functioning the way they ought to. And they set up a committee to do something about it. And this year's committee, as you mentioned, is called the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. We've been tasked with looking at some specific issues around things like communications, the use of technology. Uh, Congress has been described as an 18th century institution using 20th century technology to solve 21st century problems. I think that's an apt description and one that we've been uh, tasked with, with looking at. We've been asked to look at things like the schedule and calendar of Congress, uh, the rules and procedures of, of Congress, uh, we've also worked on um, issues related uh, that weren't directly assigned to us, including things like how do we foster greater civility uh, and, and greater uh, bipartisan problem solving, uh, even in this environment. So let's break this down uh, one issue at a time. But certainly this week we saw the debate over proxy voting, and it yet again became a partisan political debate. Did that surprise you? It did a little. Um, You know, I think this is clearly a time in which Congress needs to function. We're in the midst of a public health crisis. Obviously, that's turned things upside down for families and students and um, small businesses in all of our communities. And I think this is a time where Congress needs to to function, um, both from the standpoint of legislating on behalf of the American people uh, and conducting important oversight. And like a lot of businesses around our country, Congress is working to figure out how to do that with appropriate safety measures in place so that members of Congress and their families and the staff of the Congress and the Capitol Police and others uh, aren't unnecessarily put uh, put at risk. And I think that's really the rationale behind this is to have Congress continue to do the job that it's assigned to do, to legislate and to conduct oversight. Um, with, as you saw this week, a lot of people uh, present and wearing masks and doing social distancing. And I've gone through at least a gallon of hand sanitizer in the last few days. Uh, But some people um, being able to participate through proxy. And yet when Republicans, including the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, basically calling this a power grab by the Democrats, my question is, how do you get beyond that to create a bipartisan consensus to make some of the changes, especially during a time of crisis? Well, I think that's really been the hallmark of the committee that I have the honor of chairing. I mean, thankfully, this is a committee that has really broken the mold in Congress. You know, we're working together. We're working across party lines to really produce real results. I mentioned you see these select committees pop up every so often, and this is the first select committee really in modern history that has successfully passed recommendations. Uh, and not only have has this committee passed recommendations, uh, it's done so 
Now 45 unanimous recommendations have passed out of the committee. The first 30 of them were turned into a resolution that was passed off the House floor. And I think that, you know, that gives you some sense of the effort that we're undertaking to try to find common ground. And that can be hard uh, in this environment, but it's important. And, you know, thankfully, you've been able to see that with a lot of the federal response to the coronavirus, not all of it. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a time where I think the American people um, aren't, aren't looking for partisan bickering. They're looking for problems to be solved on their behalf. And that's really what this committee is all about. And of course, this is a committee that would then bring issues to the floor for debates and votes. But if you had a magic wand, Congressman Kilmer, to make some changes over the next couple of weeks, not necessarily related to coronavirus, but to the operations of the House of Representatives, what would be your priorities? I think there's a couple uh, in particular. Uh, One is um, some of the greatest challenges that we've seen that have the greatest impact on the American people um, are the dysfunction within the budget process and the number of times in recent years where you've seen government shutdowns or uh, continuing resolutions where Congress in essence kicks the can on spending decisions. And it creates great uncertainty for uh, federal agencies. It creates great uncertainty for our constituents you look at a district like mine, the largest employer in my district is the federal government. It's the Navy, but we also have a massive veterans population. So, you know, when the VA and when there's a government shutdown and, you know, the VA uh, operations are disrupted or when the national park closed for several weeks, that doesn't just affect the federal workforce that has substantial impacts on private industry as well, our local hotels and restaurants and things like that, that obviously right now are really suffering as a result of the coronavirus as well. So we as a committee have had uh, a lot of discussions related to budget and appropriations process reform. There was actually a select committee a couple years ago focused specifically on that question. And unfortunately, like a lot of select committees in modern history, uh, that select committee didn't pass any recommendations. It didn't. Um, it didn't get anything across the finish line. Uh, our our goal is to take up some recommendations in this space with an eye towards having a budget and appropriations process that functions better on behalf of the American people. That hopefully reduces the likelihood of shutdowns and some of the dysfunction that you've seen that have been so disruptive uh, in recent years. I think that's one, that's one big one. I think the other thing, and we've, you know, some of the things that, that, uh, that the committee has taken up um, may not sound like, you know, massive, uh, you know, sh- uh, shifting of, you know, plate tectonics, but I think some of them can make a real difference. You know, so we've made a number of recommendations oriented towards, trying to foster greater st- uh, civility. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. And this is not, you know, this isn't probably my one thing, but I think it's a great example of something that would be a minor fix that could make a big difference. So when new members, uh, when a new uh, representative is elected, not unlike when someone goes off to college, they have freshman orientation. And unfortunately, from the big, very beginning, much of that process is partisan. I mean, we heard from uh, from freshman members on our committee who said, literally, we had 
Democrats put on the Democrat bus and Republicans put on the Republican bus. And, you know, that really starts the sort of tribal nature of the congressional dysfunction right out the gate. And so one of the things that we have made recommendations on are some ways to foster greater uh, civility, to not just have orientation be more of a bipartisan process, but also even doing goal setting, you know, uh, at the uh, institution-wide level and within specific committees to have committees much like our committee did at the beginning of the year uh, when we got our committee. We sat down as a committee and said, okay, well, here's our mission. Here's some of the things we've been assigned. What do members think? What do you want to get done? You know, what are some of the things you want to dig in on? And, you know, to the credit of uh, the committee members, including our vice chairman, Tom Graves from, from Georgia, you know, we have really um, sat down in the spirit of just trying to solve problems rather than to score um, partisan points. Those, so those are a couple of things that I think can, can make a real, uh, a real difference. Why do you think Speaker Pelosi tapped you for this job? Well, you know, uh, I guess a, a couple of things. Um, I was part of a group uh, of members who were looking at some changes in House rules and some institutional reforms um, in the last Congress. Uh, and, you know, that was an important time to be having those discussions because we didn't know which party was going to be in charge. And that's that's a nice no-risk time to say, okay, if you don't know who the winners and losers are going to be, let's talk about what's fair and what would make sense, and let's set rules accordingly. And as we had some of those member-level conversations, we kept finding things where we said, well, that that's a good idea. That's something that should probably change, like in the tech space, for example, or some of these civility things that I've mentioned. Um, or even some of the areas around budget and appropriations, members would have a discussion of that, and we'd say, well, that's not really a rules thing, you know, that the House will vote on on day one of a new Congress. That's probably something that needs further uh, analysis and discussion and deliberation. Um, and we kind of just put it in the items-to-be-named-later bucket. And at the end of that discussion around House rules, and um I, along with many members, uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, encouraged and thankfully we passed, I think, some pretty important rules changes at the beginning of this Congress. But at the same time, we flagged for the leadership of both parties, hey, there are these other issues that that Congress ought to be thinking about, about having Congress uh, be more modern and function better on behalf of the American people. And to the credit of uh, of our leadership, they said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. It's, you know, it's probably time to have a committee that's charged with looking specifically at those things. So I think some of it was uh, based on the fact that I'd been engaged in that process uh, uh, in the last in the last Congress. I'm also um, sort of a process nerd, uh, you know, fresh out of graduate school. I was a management consultant and uh, spent some time working in business and in economic development. And I frankly think there are some areas where Congress can learn from private industry about how to function better and how to better serve our constituents. You also talked about the schedule, and for many years, members of Congress arriving either Monday night or Tuesday morning with votes Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday into the early afternoon, lawmakers then heading out of town Thursday for the weekend. 
Does that need to change? It's absolutely something that the committee, in the time we have remaining, is going to be having a lot of discussion about and hopefully finding some recommendations uh, to address that. And I think the value, and and, and frankly, this is highlighted uh, in the midst of the coronavirus in that you've seen a reduction in flight availability. So for a lot of members of Congress, now it's a full day of travel uh, to get to Washington, D.C., and a full day to get back to their districts. And I don't say that um, because I feel sorry for members of Congress. I say that because it's not a constructive use of time on behalf of our constituents. And so you've seen some discussion, including we had a member day hearing, and you had members testify about, well, so what about doing something where, you know, rather than flying in on Monday and flying out on Thursday and then the next week flying in on Tuesday and flying out on Friday uh, and then doing that three of the four weeks on average, you know, what if we had members of Congress show up Monday morning ready to roll and go all the way through Friday night and then start the next Monday, Monday morning, and go all the way through Friday, Friday night, you know, for maybe two weeks or three weeks and then have a separate week. Even if you just did two weeks, the math works out so that you would actually have more time legislating more time in D.C. for committee work and for, for uh, action on the floor, you'd actually have more time in district as well. The thing that you lose is travel time. And, you know, you've seen the schedule in the House right now. Uh, so last year, I believe the, the number is uh, la- last year, Congress was in town for uh, 58 full days and 57 travel days. 58 full days and 57 travel days. And those travel days are, you know, one or two votes on a Monday night and one or two votes on a Thursday or Friday. And then the rest of the day is, is, is travel. And if you, if you did sort of a two weeks on schedule, um, you would have more time to legislate, more time to engage your constituents in the district. All you would lose out on, at least in my experience, would be, you know, a lot of time with the wonderfully pleasant people of Alaska Airlines, who I really do like, but frankly, I I would rather spend the time, you know, legislating and in committee. The other reason that this is a challenge is the average member of Congress serves on 5.4 committees and subcommittees, 5.4. And so if you're only here in Washington, D.C. for 58 full days, which is when the committees generally meet, they generally don't meet on travel days, you're basically trying to have 5.4 on average committees meet at the same time over those two days, that that, over those two full days each week that Congress is in town. And as a consequence, you see massive conflict in schedule where a member of Congress is expected to be in three different committees at the same time. And again, I don't say that um, out of sympathy for the member of Congress. I say that because the work of Congress to solve problems on behalf of the American people is supposed to happen in committees. Members are supposed to develop content knowledge. They're supposed to engage. They're not just supposed to show up right before it's their turn to talk, give their five-minute spiel, and then run out the door to get to their next committee meeting so that they can repeat that exercise. And so that's a 
that's the problem statement. What the solution looks like, we're still we're still discussing. Um, you know, we have discussed things like you know block scheduling of committees so that at least you could see some reduction in in that overlap. But to some degree, frankly, Congress needs to be in Washington D.C. for more full days uh, to reduce that um, that overlap and to reduce the amount of scheduling conflict that occurs so that committees can be engaged and be able to solve problems for the American people. But I wonder, Congressman, are there too many committees? Is there too much duplication? Is there a way to streamline the committee process in general? It's a great question, and there might be. I don't know that this committee is going to get to those issues around committee jurisdiction. Um, we, we certainly weren't assigned that topic. Uh, it's come up a little bit. Um, and uh, we're trying to get through all of the topics that the committee was assigned, and uh, and then we'll see where that goes in terms of some of the you know stickier conversations around uh, around things like committee jurisdiction. And what about the people behind the scenes, the staff that uh, basically supports the committees and the work that you do here in Washington D.C.? Are you addressing any potential changes to that? We are, and it's a really important point, and it's one of the things that the committee was assigned to look at, the recruitment, retention, and diversity of uh, congressional staff. Uh, it's really important. Um, you know, so much of the work that happens in our nation's capital is driven by uh, incredibly talented staff people, and unfortunately, there's massive turnover. Uh, it's um, uh, you, you see, you know, the, the median tenure, uh, I think is like 2.2 years for a staff member. And what that means is, uh, you have, uh, uh, you know, just as you have someone really have an understanding of their subject expertise and the challenges facing your district, or if they're committee staff, uh, the challenges facing the committee, they they move on. And so some of the recommendations that we have made have been in the service of trying to recruit and retain and uh, have a staff that looks more like the American people. Um, some of that has been things like embracing the value of an office of diversity and inclusion. Uh, some of it's been looking at uh, things like um, having a clearer pathways of professional development for congressional staff so that they can really grow in these jobs and they don't uh, feel compelled to take the first uh, exit out. One of the things we'll likely be looking at is just the capacity of Congress to, to compensate uh, uh, staff. You know, so I'll give you a, a quick example. One of the recommendations that we've already made uh, uh, in the technology space is, you know, trying to pool some of the technology purchasing. You know, right now you have 435 congressional offices that are largely independent contractors. And as a consequence, you have 40, 435 members doing their own purchasing of laptops and cell phones and uh, all, of, uh, all of that technology, which means you're probably not getting the best price. You're, you're, you're not getting any sort of economies of scale from that purchasing, not to mention the capacity even pool purchasing with the Senate as well. 
So one of the recommendations we've made has focused on that, just being smarter with taxpayers' dollars with the notion that that could free up some capacity uh, to be able to pay staff better and hopefully hold on to them longer. So those are some of the things that the committee is, is, is actively engaged on. So as a member of Congress, now having served for a number of years and the chair of this committee, what has either surprised you the most or frustrated you the most? I am pleasantly surprised by the degree to which this committee has has functioned in a bipartisan way. Literally every recommendation that this committee has made so far has been unanimous. And, you know, we have six Democrats and six Republicans on this committee to pass a recommendation that requires a supermajority vote of our of our committee. And that's a high bar. And, you know, and and we've got a diverse, ideologically uh, diverse committee, uh, diversity of tenure in Congress. And so you can envision how looking at recommendations on everything from civility to streamlining processes and saving taxpayer dollars to increasing the quality of constituent communication to dealing with technology, you can envision how any one of those issues could get contentious uh, and could run into problems. And yet, um, I really give great credit to the members of the committee for, um, you know, to some degree modeling the type of behavior that I think the American people are clamoring for, which is, you know, and I really, I encourage folks to, you can check out our, check out our webpage and you can see some of the hearings we've had. We've had a couple remote discussions, um, even in the course of this pandemic where we've been uh, talking about how Congress can better, um, address some of the challenges related to the uh, the pandemic and to broader issues around uh, continuity. And I think what you would find is if you didn't have a scorecard, you can't tell who's the Republican and who's the Democrat on this committee. You can't tell uh, how long someone has served other than every now and then a member will say, you know, this came up 20 years ago and you know that they're longer tenured. But by and large, it's just been really constructive and I think has really broken the mold for how congressional committees can, can function. And, you know, you said on the front end, a lot of the American people may not have even heard of this committee. And I'm conscious of the fact that committees that aren't siding with each other aren't necessarily leading cable news. Um, thankfully, C-SPAN has covered all of our hearings. We <laughs> so have indeed, you. yes. <laughs> I want to thank you for that. Um uh, you know, and, and uh, I hope folks who, who've tuned in have found some gratification with just regard to the constructive way that members have worked across party lines, you know, dug in deep on some of these issues that affect uh, the American people and moved forward. And of course, this pandemic is the backdrop of so much of what is driving the country today. Do you think that it is forcing the hand of Congress with Zoom meetings and with proxy voting to really implement some of the changes that you've been talking about today? Well, even before anyone had heard of coronavirus, I'm conscious of the fact that Congress had an approval rating um, that was lower than head lice and colonoscopies and the band Nickelback. (laughs) And so, you know, even before this pandemic, Uh, I think the American people have clamored for a more functional institution that lives up to its charge in the Constitution, uh, that lives up to its Article I authorities. Now, in the face of this public health crisis, 
it's more important than than ever. And so we've we've continued to have important conversations even through this coronavirus uh, pandemic to ensure that our work doesn't slow down. Frankly, we have to because we have a due date. Uh, our committee uh, has to issue a final report uh, in October. So we really can't allow our progress to slow down. We've had three virtual discussions with expert uh, speakers to discuss best practices for virtual work. Obviously, that is a germane topic right now. We've had discussions about how district offices and the legislative branch can can improve their continuity procedures to protect against the next crisis. And we've had a conversation about how Congress can continue to build its technology uh, capacity. And again, you know, I'd, I'd welcome folks to check out our, we're just modernizedcongress.house.gov and, and folks can see some of those conversations that we've had. And I think we've learned from the pandemic some lessons that are worth adopting. You know, every office needs a clear continuity of operations plan and that that includes clear guidelines and policies for things like telecommuting you know plans for um, you know making sure your technology is up to date and that there's virtual private network capable laptops for your staff in both washington dc and in district offices and uh you know secure wi-fi connections or hotspots you know, there's a lot of offices that weren't really thinking about that stuff prior to this pandemic. And now it's really, really important because, you know, I can tell you our caseworkers in my office are busier than ever because, you know, this, this pandemic has shown that there's a lot of cracks in the, in the dam. And, you know, we're trying to use every finger and toe we have to, to plug, plug those holes you know, looking at how we can effectively communicate with our constituents and, and provide resources to them can be challenging during an emergency, you know. Uh, and so looking at, you know, what's the process for for that, for communicating, even things like, you know, I, I'm someone who does a whole lot of, of town halls. Well, I can't really do that in the midst of a pandemic. I, I don't want dozens of my constituents to end up in close quarters with each other. So I, like a lot of members of Congress, have been doing telephone town halls. You know, right now, again, you have 435 members of Congress all function as kind of independent contractors purchasing the ability to do telephone town halls with their constituents. Maybe that's something that the House should consider doing through bulk purchasing to lower, you know, to save money for taxpayers. You know, we're seeing some of the challenges related to the use of technology. And the executive branch has something called the U.S. Digital Service that brings in technologists and people with uh, technology expertise um, to provide some help and provide some guidance on technology issues and technology policy questions. You know, one of the things we've discussed is having a, a, a sort of a congressional digital service. Um, and again, we, we've seen through this pandemic a lot of offices were unprepared for things like telework, and some are still str- struggling. And so there are smart technologists that want to work in Congress, and we need to broaden our internship and fellowship pipelines, you know, encouraging some of those university, university pipelines to reach outside of the regular law and economics and public policy tracks, and ask them to advertise or open up internship eligibility for technical degree programs and make use of the fellowships, you know, bringing veterans into Congress. You know, there's 
amazing technology expertise uh, within the veterans community. So that's something that we've had some conversation about. And then more broadly, um, you know, Congress uh, has to revisit the overall topic of just continuity, uh, continuity of Congress. Uh, you know, we've looked at uh, some of the practices of state legislatures and even foreign governments um, looking at uh, even the executive branch within uh, the American federal government. And I think there's still a ways to go for, for Congress in that regard as well. So these are some of the things that uh, have uh, had a bright light shown on them during this pandemic and where I think you will likely see our committee a push to make some recommendations and make some change, not just to address the short-term crisis, but to hopefully have Congress over the long term uh, function better on behalf of the folks we represent. And a very brief process question. The report comes out in October. Will this Congress vote on the changes that you're putting forth? Well, here's what's cool. Uh, What's cool about what our committee has done is when we had that very initial conversation, everybody agreed that we didn't want to just produce a report, that we actually wanted to produce change. And so with each of the sets of recommendations that we've made, we've worked to turn them into legislation. So uh, the first 30 we'll put into HRES 756, and, uh, and that's passed. That's passed out of the House already. And so not only, you know, so we've done things a little bit differently. You know, we decided, and some of this was looking at, you know, my, my staff punished me with a bunch of, you know, CRS reports and analyses of uh, select committees passed. And one of my takeaways was a lot of the reasons that these select committees in the past have failed is they waited to the end to try to pass a final report. And for one reason or another, uh, you know, the, the plane didn't make it over the mountain. Um, you know, so one of the things we decided as a committee, it wasn't just my idea, there was a, a consensus to do this, was to look at an issue, analyze a problem statement, identify solutions, find consensus, and if we can find consistent consensus, let's roll. Let's make some recommendations and pass them out of committee. Then let's turn them into uh, legislation and try to get them passed. And so literally the first 30 recommendations that deal with everything from technology in the House to accessibility to staffing issues have already been turned into uh, HRS 756 and passed out of Congress. And that's really a testament to the bipartisan and constructive work that this committee has done. Um, We are working on uh, the next set of recommendations uh, becoming legislation and trying to get that passed. And we're working to pass additional uh, recommendations as well. So that may have been a a, a long way of saying, yes, we're (laughs) working really hard to act on these legislation because our goal is not just to to make recommendations or to make a report, our 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 mission uh, is to make change so that Congress works better for the folks we represent. It is the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress. Its chair, Democratic Representative Derek Kilmer of Washington State. We thank you for being with us here on C-SPAN Radio. You bet. Thanks for having me. And a reminder, the weekly is available on the web at cspen.org slash podcast. Be sure to rate and review us. We look forward to reading your comments. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at cspen radio. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. We thank you for listening.